Welcome, everybody, to another gathering around the podcast of these present days. Let's start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us ears to hear and eyes to see and opening our understanding up because of the pulse of the world around us that is trying to get us to be in rhythm with them rather than you is getting stronger and stronger as the days approach when it's finished and we're through and we're simply waiting upon you. And thank you, Father, for preparing us and equipping us for these days. In the name of Jesus, amen. These present days, Matthew 24, I'm going to kind of review a little bit what I've done before. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end times. He's using parables. He's, he's actually giving um, facts and figures and truth because, you know, it's about the truth. Everything comes down to the truth versus the lies. Truth versus lie. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He said that himself. Uh, he gave to the people that follow him the spirit of truth to lead and guide them into all truth. We're living in a time when there's a lot of lying going on. And Jesus even predicted it and prophesied it. And so... Let's pick it up in Matthew 24 and verse 3. Now, as he sat at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Those three things. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. He starts right off saying, Don't let people deceive you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive, there's a the word again, deceive many. And you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. Okay, we're right in the middle of something like that right now. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows, or other translations say birth pangs, or um, contractions before bringing forth a new heaven and a new earth. And then it says in verse 9, then they'll deliver you up to be tri to, tribu to tribulation and kill you. And remember Jesus said over in John 16, 33, in the world you're going to have trouble, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And so he says right here, he's warning them by telling them they're going to do that. They're going to do that. Like that movie Taken with Liam Neeson, he had to tell his daughter on the phone to hide under the bed and then said one more important thing. Brace yourself because they're going to take you. They're going to take you. <laughs> so that's not very good news. You know, she probably wanted to hear, I'm going to be there before they are. But Jesus is telling us we're going to be taken under a time of trouble and tribulation. And they will kill you. And this is his people in front of him in that day and age. And this was fulfilled, first of all, in them because they were persecuted and many of them killed. And you'll be hated, he says, by all nations for my namesake. But then many will be offended and betray one another. In other words, they're starting to try to save their own skin and will hate one another now. Then many false prophets, there's some more lying coming up, false prophecies will come up, you know, and, and will rise up and deceive many. There's a third time he mentioned the word deceived. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many is going to grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. It's just a real simple, simple sentence. He who endures, endures. What's enduring encompass? 
Enduring is being tolerant. Enduring is putting up with. Enduring is being able to bear the weight of it. Like you have the muscles that are developed and developing to where you can handle it. You can carry it. You can walk under the pressure of it. And it's not like, you know, it's just going to be a, 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 a stroll in the park or just a cool breeze on your face on a hot day. No, we know that there's going to be challenges. We're going to be challenged greatly because we have been blessed and prospered and we have been um, affected by God's promises greatly of walking in divine health and the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so we've been under attack in those areas. But this is going to be from all the areas at once, it seems like. And this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then and then the end will come. Well, we're getting real close to that. We're getting real close to that. It says a little bit later, a few verses down, I'm not going to go there right now, he says that more about deception, and even if possible, the elect will be deceived. Who are the elect? The elect are the people that are, are Christians that are following Jesus. They are they are saved, forgiven of their sins, um, living the gospel or living the good news, living according to the principles of God. And if they are truly living and operating as the elect um, and they're awake under their own righteousness and they're not living in sin, they are going to have what they need to endure and to get through this stuff. And so he's preparing us for that. And he's preparing us because he says, if possible, even the elect will be deceived. If possible is only possible if they're ignorant, if they're lazy, if they're sloppy, and they haven't been paying attention to the times and the seasons. Now I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Because we're focusing and zeroing in on what it means to live in this time. And knowing that the world is already setting records, I believe, of lies and deceptions. I mean, things that used to be trustworthy. I mean, you could probably trust teachers. Teachers were like surrogate parents when I was growing up. And, and many of you may remember the same. They were like looking out for the best for the kids. And now we've got teachers that are hiding the fact that their child is confused about their sexuality and they want to get a sex change and they want to keep it from the parents and the teachers are going to go ahead and swear to silence on that. Or they're trying to get legislation passed where they don't have to. They're not forced to tell the parents about what their kids want to do. It's their body, their choice. It's like, oh my gosh. And so we're living in those times. Those times, you know, has um, come about because God has let this whole 2,000 years of the church age, of the age of grace, um, run its course, and it's being wrapped up because the time of the cup of iniquity is reaching its, its fill level. It's all the way to the top. And the snake in Genesis chapter 3 is talking about none other than Satan as a liar. And that word used for snake we're going to look at that in just a minute after we read the portion of Scripture in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 13. We're going to see what that serpent or snake is all about. In verse 1, 
Amplified translation says, Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in, in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, Satan, in quotation, I mean in, in, in brackets, said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, you shall not eat from it, nor shall you touch it, otherwise you will die. Well, it's not so. That's not so. The woman got it wrong. She's talking to a serpent that's trying to deceive her. He didn't even have, he didn't even have to try to lie or deceive yet. The woman got wrong information. Because here, I'm going to give you a principle. She can't make a stand now to save her life. She can't make a stand because anytime you add something to the Word of God or you take something away from the Word of God, like it says at the, at the last chapter of the Word of God, Genesis 22, if anyone adds to these words or takes away from these words, they will be cursed. That's how serious it is. And you curse yourself. Nobody has to run from heaven and hit you with a, uh, a, a scepter over the forehead and curse you right there. You brought the curse on yourself by adding and taking away. You need to let the Word of God just flow freely and God's voice be heard clean and clearly. And so she says this, except, in verse, in verse 3, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said you shall not eat of it. Yes, he did. In chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, he's telling Adam, and Eve wasn't there except for she was in Adam, that God is telling Adam, he says, that you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the other trees you may partake of in the garden. And he gave him commission to guard and nurture the trees, the plant life, animals, insects, all of It was all a, a harmonious ecosystem that they had. And God said to nurture that, guard it. That's your garden. That's your territory. That's your area of authority. And Adam was supposed to watch it and watch what happens in it. And everything was good. I mean, what, there's, no, there's no problem here. There's no Satan running around. He doesn't have a license to be on the planet yet. He doesn't have a legal entry point. He wasn't born of a woman. And so in verse 3 again, except the fruit from the, from the tree, which is in the middle, this is the woman talking, which is in the middle of the garden. She got that right. God said you should not eat from it. Right. You should have stopped right there, Eve nor touch it. Otherwise, you will die. Now the devil comes back and says, you certainly will not die. And you know what? He's right. Half right. You see, if you have half the truth, that's not the truth. That's still leaving room for a lie. Because he's actually saying, you're right. You certainly will not die if you touch it. He didn't refer to you should not eat it because he knows that was the law of the land that God gave to Adam. You're not to eat from it. What that means is you're not to partake of it. Partaking of the, of the fruit, of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, of the knowledge of right and wrong, of the knowledge of truth versus, lie, versus lies. In other words, God says that's my territory. I'm the only one who decides what the truth is and what lies are. And I don't have to go down the long list and, and, and great 
work and tedious references and everything to give you all of the things or lies. He says this, in other words, I'm the standard of truth. Anything that doesn't come into rhythm with me or with the truth is a lie. That's all you need to know. If you know what the truth is, you can compare whatever else is being said around you or being done around you or the thoughts of your own mind, and you can shoot it down or you can accept it. And if it bears witness with the spirit of truth on the inside of your heart and the words of truth in the Bible and even the character of Jesus, how he displayed it when he was here, if it lines up with those things, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, well, then it's truth too. But if it doesn't line up, it's not. And anytime you, you add that or embrace something extra biblical, you have just committed a sin against the Word of God and against yourself. Because now you weakened it. Because you added, you added, you added. Now, I want you to mark that down. We're going to get into things. People have been adding to gospel, adding to the Bible, adding to the interpretation of it, adding to the doctrine of the churches, the local churches, adding to what people are supposed to believe, adding a bunch of stuff to that. And it's been messing it up and watering it down to where people can't make a stand in so many areas now. I'll give you an example. I'm, done. I'm just going to kind of jump ahead and just give you an example. I'm not done with this serpent and this woman right here. I'm not done with them by any stretch yet. Let me give you an example. God said in the Old Testament, way back in the Old Testament, he said, I am your physician. I bless your bread and water and I remove sickness from the midst of you. That's simple enough. God's going to take care of my health. And then he, he sacrificed his son. And it says in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, you know, about Jesus. You know, he took upon our, our, him the stripes for our sake, his bruises, you know, his, the beating that he took for us. And by his stripes, you were healed. And in 1 Peter 2, 24, once again, it mentions the same thing from Isaiah 53. By his stripes, you were healed. If you were healed, then you are healthy. And the thief is coming to steal what you already have. The thief doesn't break into a poor man's house. There's nothing to get there. The thief is trying to break the front door down or the back door or the side window to get into the rich man's house. And we are rich with divine health and peace. And that's why he's trying to rob your peace all the time, trying to confuse you, trying to throw you for a loop. And all of that are lies because God says, we have the mind of Christ. God says, my peace do I give unto you, not as the world gives, but my peace do I give unto you. A peace that passes understanding. And so the devil tries to steal the peace. And you fall to pieces going around and around anxious and concerned about so many things that he's throwing you for a loop with instead of just casting all the cares over onto Jesus. Now I'm preaching to everybody, even the speaker right now. And so back over to chapter 3, God never said you can't touch it. God never said that. And you see how the devil, he can get a step out of that? Because now if Eve touches it and she doesn't die, immediately die, well then she's figuring, well, it's probably safe to eat too. I mean, you don't have to be Einstein to figure that out. You certainly will not die though Satan said, 
from touching it. Touching it puts you in close proximity. There's a lot of people that have left themselves vulnerable by touching things they shouldn't be touching because they know better than to go all the way and, and taste of it. But when they allow themselves to touch it, I'm going to tell you something. Like, for instance, alcohol. Jesus turned water into wine. But the Bible says not to be drunk with wine where there's excess, and, and excess meaning you, know, you lose control. You're forsaking and, 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 and you're surrendering your control of yourself. And you know how it can make a mockery of you if you get drunk. But listen to this. There's no sin in having alcohol in your cabinet. There's no sin in having a glass of wine once in a while with your meal or mixing wine in with the spaghetti sauce, you know, the red sauce and all this kind of thing. That's not a sin in and of itself. He said, don't be drunk with wine. Okay, but listen, if you might have a problem or if you, you know, don't ever want to find out if you have a problem or leave it within reach because the world gives you a lot of problems and you might want to take the edge off, um, you probably should keep alcohol away from your arm's length, away from your reach. And it'll be better for you because, listen, we're fighting a crafty, crafty serpent, Satan, and we need all of our wit and the mind of Christ about us. Why would we want to go into the ring with the world champ, the God of this world, and he's the champ of being evil and destructive? Why do you want to go into the ring with the world champ with one arm tied behind your back? You don't stand a chance. And in some cases, some people barely stand a chance with both hands in front of them trying to fight him because they don't know how to fight him. They don't know how to take authority over him. But why would you want to hinder yourself and hamstring yourself? Hmm. Why would you want to add something that you don't need that could only hinder you? So this is where the deception comes in. It's just a real simple thing. It's a lie. You need physicians. It's a lie. The medicines, the medications, the physicians, the medical examiner, they are taking the place of God now because, you know, God retired a long time ago. He's no longer our physician. And so we got to go to a real physician that spent, you know, 12 to 16 years in, in college and let him tell us what our body's all about when the maker of it is out of the picture now. Or no, 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 no. We're going to use prayer. We're going to pray a lot and get the maker of our body involved a little bit. But he's going to have to take the co-pilot seat because we went to the doctor and the doctor is going to tell us this and that and he's going to prescribe certain treatments and we're going to go in for the treatments and we're going to make appointments for the treatments. You see how you're not able to make a stand now? You take and add something to or take something away? You mess with the Word of God? Mm. And listen, you don't. Have, I have over 175 different translations of the Bible. I have read most all of them. And they all have different ways of saying things and they choose a different, because you can get a Greek word and it has like 10 to 12 different definitions that are valid, that have been used in, in other parts uh, of the Bible and other parts of ancient writings in that definition. You can choose to put that one in your translation of the Bible and someone puts somebody else, something else. And so what I'm trying to say is that there is no perfect translation. There's none. I've, I've searched them. There's none. The Holy Spirit is the inspiration of the Bible. And so 
there's many applications, but there's only one interpretation, not translation, I didn't say translation, interpretation of it, and that is in the context of all the different checks and balances, like context of setting, of subject matter, uh, the context of the character of God, who is a speaker, or if somebody else is doing the speaking, if they're quoting him correctly, all those kind of contexts, but mainly the spirit of truth on the inside of you and me, if you're a saved, uh, spirit-filled person, the spirit of truth will lead and guide us into truth, and he is the author of the truth. I don't study the Bible outside of bringing him into it with me. He is right there. He's my pilot. I'm the co-pilot. I'm turning the pages and looking at things, and when I get stumped or stuck, I ask him, what does this mean? What does this mean? Because there's many ways to apply it, but there's only one inspiration behind it. So when you start tinkering with it, when you start messing with it, when you tell your wife, you know, well, you, you, I don't want you messing with my, my brand new Harley in the garage. You know, I don't want you to mess with that, you know, because uh, you could break something. You could, you could tip it over and you couldn't get it up. It could even fall on you or on one of the kids. And so don't even go into the garage. And so everybody backs away and nobody goes in the garage no more. They're scared spitless because you, they don't want that bike to fall over. God forbid the master of the house's bike fell over. God forbid. And so he didn't just have to tell me not to go there. He had to tell me not to touch it or even go into the same room where it's sitting. You see how you added so much to it? And now there's so many moving parts. There's no way it can't fail. It's going to fail. So, Verse 4 again, but the serpent said to the woman, you're certainly not going to die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. That is, you'll have greater awareness, and you'll be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. See, he's offering knowledge and, and to know good and evil, but it's in a different way, experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge. You see, that's why God wanted Adam and Eve away from the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because God holds has the market cornered on the knowledge of good and evil. And evil? God's got the market cornered on evil too? Uh, duh. Who was the first one that was betrayed in all of existence? God. By Satan, his created being. Who was the first one that was attacked by the pride of this created being that he's mounting up an assault against God to put his throne above God's throne? Satan. His name was Lucifer at the time, but he turned into Satan. And so God had experiential knowledge of evil and cast it out of heaven. And he can't deny that to his children because whatever God's experience is, whatever God's made of, that goes right into his, his creation, his children. And so he had to tell them, stay away from that area right there. Trust me. Just trust me and don't rely on your own instincts to determine what's good for you and what's evil for you. Just stay there and just let it pin you down in only one area. You can have the whole world all the way around the globe because I gave you the Garden of Eden. Um, probably a thousand years from now, Adam and Eve, you'll have a million children and you'll have encompassed the whole globe and it'll all be the Garden of Eden still until we know what happened and it went south. But it would have been okay for them 
to not ever explore that tree because they didn't need to because that's God's territory. God had to put that in the midst, though, because God is in the midst of the garden with them anyway. And so this is an ever reminder not to tinker, not to touch what is mine because God is the only one that can handle evil right. I mean, look at us right now. Um, mankind, for the first 4,000 years before Jesus came, couldn't handle the devil. Couldn't handle him. He was roaming about the world, and there was no teaching in the Old Testament about how to check him, how to take authority. There was none. There was none. Nope. Not until Jesus defeated him. Because only God can defeat him. But then Jesus gave us the victory, meaning that we can celebrate over the top of that that devil even says that the God of peace will crush Satan swiftly beneath your feet. And so we have been given that victory. That's why it calls us in the Bible more than conquerors. We didn't get our hands dirty. Jesus did, and he conquered him, and he gave us the spoils of it. And in his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess to his lordship, to the glory of God the Father, beings in heaven, beings on the earth, and beings beneath the earth. Satan. Mm. And so the woman is tempted, tempted because it sounded good, because she's all about knowing the difference between good and evil. In other words, the truth, because that's what the bottom line boils down to. When you get the true difference between good and evil, what is good and what is evil, in the middle of that you found truth. This is the truth. Don't touch this, but take and embrace that. That's the truth, good and evil. God's got the market corner. Don't try to get it from someplace else. Don't try to add anything to it to help God out. He doesn't need your help. Verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was delightful to look at and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, and he ate. Uh, he was with her, and he ate. And the eyes, verse 7, of the two of them were open, that is, their awareness increased, and they knew that they were naked, and they fastened fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. It's important to focus on the word coverings because they lost their covering. You see, the covering that I'm talking about here, I'm not going to get into that doctrine that's been in the church for a while about you got to be under the covering, got to get the covering, got to get this covering, this brand has got to cover you. No. There's only one covering in the Bible that's worth anything and worth mentioning at all, and that's the covering of God. You come under the covering of God when you live by His Word. You come under the authority of His Word, which is the truth. And so you are living under an umbrella of the truth. And that's the way you're supposed to live. That's the way you were created to live. And so when they knew that they had messed up, and they knew more than they wanted to know. And it's not like they weren't naked before. They were naked before, but it, it didn't matter. Now, all of a sudden, their sensuality kicked into high gear. And with that, all the different types of corruption of the sensuality of the two opposite uh, sexual beings and all the depravity that could come with that in a fallen world when sin is, is, is pumping through your veins, and so they look for something else to cover them so they could find leaves to cover them because they felt shame and they wanted to hide themselves. 
And there was nothing to be ashamed of before that. Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cold of the afternoon and the breeze of the day. So the man and his wife hid themselves. We have them hiding now. Isn't that deception? The definition of deception is to hide the truth. And so now they're hiding. They're hiding out because they're afraid from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called Adam and said to him, where are you? God already knows where he's at. He's trying to help Adam come back to where he should be. In other words, like when you're in the mall, you're trying to find a store, you go to that little directory thing, and it has an arrow pointing, here's where you are, and here's where Nordstrom's is over here. And you can figure out how to get there now. First of all, you've got to locate you. And that's what he's doing right here. And so God said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden. I was afraid at the first mention of fear because I was naked. So I hid my, oh, there's so much there. There's so much there. I was afraid because I was naked. I was uncovered. I was afraid because I came out from under your protection and your authority. So I hid myself. I deceived you. I was trying to deceive you. I was trying to get away from deceiving you. I was trying to get away you know, and hide where you wouldn't see the real me. That's deception. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten the fruit from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? He knows he did. He already knows he did. He's trying to help him out. He's trying to give him the first step back. Admit it. And the man said, the woman. What? We get the first mention of blame shifting right here. The woman who you gave me. You, 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 your idea. I never asked you for no woman. Nobody ever even knew what a woman was. You made a woman and gave her to me and she messed me up. <laughs> wow. Wow. This... This, this, you could take a whole semester of psychology in a college campus, you wouldn't get this much right here. The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Okay, 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 I ate it. All right, all right? <laughs> no, no, because he had to twist your arm to get you to say that much. And then the Lord went to the woman. What is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent. The serpent beguiled me and deceived me, and I ate from the forbidden tree. What? She, what she's really quick, isn't she? The, the man just taught her how to blame shift. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Get the blame thrower out. Light the whole place up. This is the classic birthplace of all lying and deception right here in the Garden of Eden. It's the birthplace of it. And the serpent, the word he in the Hebrew is nachash. He's in the garden of God. The word nachash has three uses in one. one. Number one, as a noun, it means serpent. As a verb, it means to be divine. As an adjective, it means the shining one. So this was an illuminous serpentine creature, seeming angelic and wise, yet the personification of evil. They were totally deceived. She was deceived. He seemed to be wise. He seemed divine. Mm. Wow. And so, once a serpent, always a serpent. And so God pronounced over the liar the things about his children. And talking about the serpent now. In the 14th and 15th verses, after he talked to the woman, he went to the serpent because the woman said, the serpent, the serpent. So, 
she threw him under the bus. So here comes God talking to the serpent. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than any animal in the field. On your belly you shall go and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity, open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. She shall, or he shall fatally bruise your head and you shall only bruise his heel. Talking about the woman's seed. Let me, let me tell you something. She's talk, he's talking about not the woman's seed, actually his own seed. Because women don't have seed. Men give women seed. And then women get, get pregnant and they bear children. And so he's talking about a divine birth right here because she had a seed without a man ever touching her. And so that's a reference to the Messiah, to Jesus. And so he says, he goes on to say further, he, the seed of the woman, shall fatally bruise your head and you shall only bruise his heel, bite him on the heel. And that's what he did. Jesus had to taste death so he could destroy him who had the power of death. And so there's an open hostility between you and the woman, between Satan and woman. And we know all through history, women have been maligned. Women have been mistreated all through history. And they still are. And they're allowed right now to go out of control, trying to get back any kind of dignity because it took some kind of a woman's lib movement or some kind of equal rights movement to try to get women back in the center. But it's gone many times too far to the right because it's people doing it. It's human, be human beings doing it to set it where it's supposed to be. Because Adam didn't get this woman from the bottom of his feet or from the top of his head where she's lording over him. He took a cell out of the side of the man so she'd be side by side. But after the fall in the garden, then Adam ruled over the woman and was mean to the woman and made her subservient to himself. Anyway. And so he said this hostility between Satan, the serpent, the liar, and the woman, and between your seed, he's talking to the serpent now, your seed, offspring, and her seed. You mean the devil has offspring? Of course he does. He's been using this snake axe since the fateful moment in the garden. Why? Because it works. Uh, he has offspring. Jesus one time said to the Pharisees, you're of your, you're of your father, the devil. You do what he tells you to do. You do his bidding. You do evil. And he called them. They were religious people, man. I mean, they were, they were keepers of the law, letter of the law, you know, legalistic. But they were the representation of the, the commandments of Moses that the Jews had received thousands of years before. But they had turned into just religious whitewashed sepulchers, clean looking on the outside, full of dead man's bones on the inside. And they were enslaving people to their religious system. And so that's what the snake had accomplished through the people that were given the words of truth to begin with, the Ten Commandments and other commandments to live by. But then they started adding certain amendments to it and interpreting it in the human understanding and human ways. And the lies took the power right out of the truth. And so the devil's been using this ever since. But I wanted you to catch that, that, that connotation, though, that when Jesus came and crushed the devil, that's when the, thing, the whole thing shifted. At the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the devil's head 
The head represents his power of authority. It was crushed underneath Jesus' foot. And of course, stepping on a serpent, you can sometimes get uh, the poison of that serpent because the fangs are in the head and you step on it. And people have been bit by a dead snake before because they stepped on the head of it, you know, with maybe some flip-flops on or something It pierced right through and they got the poison because the bags of poison are still connected to the fangs. And so that's what he's talking about right here. And speaking of fangs, lying is venomous. Lying is poisonous. It's a poison that's been injected into mankind. Every time you take a thought that says you're less than the way God created you, you've just been bet, bitten and you've just been squirted a dose of poison. And so something inside of you is under attack in your system. I'm not talking about the actual physical system, but in your system of, of how you view yourself as a child of God. You hold yourself in contempt for your old sins. That's a poisonous snake bite. Because Jesus forgave your sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west. That's the truth that sets you free. And so we know that there are all types of snakes, all kinds of snakes, from deadly asps to gentle boas. But boas aren't so gentle. I mean, they kill their prey by uh, encircling them and then tightening it down and crushing the breath or the spirit out of them. And so there's a spirit of python in the Bible, it's called, that has been identified as a wicked spirit that works through Jezebels and stuff like this. And what it does, it takes the framework to, you know, of, a, of, a, of a structure like the church. It has leadership in places and positions, and it starts to encircle it with the coils, and then it starts to squeeze in on it, and it breaks the rib, it breaks the bones, it breaks it down to where the expansion and contraction of the lungs don't work anymore, and it suffocates it to death. And so we need to understand there's all kinds of snakes. You know, some don't bite you necessarily. They squeeze the life out of you. There's garden varieties. And like all the wild animals, reptiles especially we're talking about, they only have one goal, survival. In order to survive without limbs, the lowest level of all, the snake has to get crafty. I mean, they've got to be smart. The devil makes being crafty into an art form. He misdirects, distracts, deceives, diverts, pushes, shoves, divides. He comes to reason. He'll sit down and reason with you so many other ways that he simply gets us humans to let go of the truth that we know, to just kind of cough it up because maybe I wasn't right about this or maybe I wasn't right, you know, I was wrong about that. You see, just like in a courtroom, when the burden of proof of the truth is on the other side, the attorney's job is going to be dropping the seeds of doubt, just one little tiny seed of doubt at a time, and that's all he needs to where it can cause the truth to be rejected or the truth to be overturned. And that's why a good defense lawyer, knowing that his person that consigned him to do the work for him did the crime, and he's shadier, I mean, he's shadier than you know what, like a snake himself, and he's going to make some money off this high-powered celebrity client one way or the other, and he's going to get in there, and he's going to do his best to defend his client, lying through his teeth and all this kind of thing. He doesn't want the truth to come out. He, he wants to give a shadow of doubt to the jury against the truth that the prosecutor might have. 
and he's the prosecutor's got evidence and all this kind of thing, kind of thing. But they're going to bring in all this kind of stuff. Well, when they collected the evidence, they didn't have gloves on. Oh, when they did this, they did that. You know, it's kind of like bringing things in there to, to punch holes in it. You see, that's all he needs to do. Just punch a hole in it. We've been seeing holes punched in the Bible, in the interpretation of the Bible, for years and years and years. You see, we punch holes in it or allow holes to stay in it when we don't have an understanding of it. When it is something that would take a little bit of work to apply yourself to understand it. So that because everything is important, every every letter of every word and every punctuation mark is important. But we find it bogging down some places when it's not as simple as the Lord loves those who love themselves. Well, we don't have a scripture like that. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves, but the Lord doesn't just love those that love themselves. The Lord wants people to love those that don't love them. But the thing is that when we don't understand something, we leave it whole there. We, 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 we have, you see, we're all amateur theologians. What I mean by that? Theology means the knowledge of the logos, the logos, the book, the knowledge of the good book. And we all have some sort of a working knowledge of the good book. And the good book is truth. It holds and contains wall-to-wall -wall truth. Not everything in there is truth. When Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, he, tru he truly said that, but he didn't say truth. He was wrong about that. He had to admit it later that God wasn't his problem. He had, he had no knowledge of the devil. God didn't give them any working knowledge of the devil because there's nothing they could do about him yet until, because it only, only one who can conquer Satan is the one who made Satan. And so that's why Jesus had to come and do it. We try to conquer Satan. We go into intercessory prayer, yelling and screaming and, and praying in tongues so loud it, it peels the paint off the neighbor's wall. And they want to call the cops on you. And you're just, I'm, war, I'm, I'm waging warfare with the devil. Come on, man. Can't you read? The devil's eternally defeated. He's already been defeated. It's just you don't know how to read the newspaper. I'm talking about God's good newspaper from heaven. You know, and it says it right in the headline. Devil defeated. Devil defeated. Nobody has to, has to try to, to take him on anymore. Devil defeated. The Bible says this in the Old Testament. The wicked flee with no one pursuing them, but that's only when they're confronted by the righteous who are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one pursues them. Well, I'll tell you this. The truthful are bold as a lion, and the liars flee with no one even chasing them. You just got to live the truth, honey. Just walk in all the light of the truth that you have. You can't be held responsible for what you don't have, but you can surely be attacked in the areas of things that you're ignorant. And so it behooves you to be informed. Not just, you know, you're not going to major the rest of your life in a, in a college course on Bible theology and stuff. No, no. God's Spirit working in you will lead and guide you into all the truth that you need for any moment in the life that you're living presently and into the future. And so if the Bible contains the whole truth and nothing but the truth, then why are there so many holes in it? It's because we've added things, we've subtracted things, or we left things that we didn't understand 
to sit there and it makes a hole in it because we can go around it. I can read everything that came before and everything I read I can read after, but right there, there's just a black hole. Everything falls in there and I don't know where it went. And so we don't want to have black holes in, in there. And so we have to patch those things up with our own additions we feel or our own interpretations or our own reasoning or our own personal experience it's kind of like putting bubble gum on a hole in the roof where you had a leak coming down when it rained last, putting some bubble gum up there for a while. Because um, I say for a while because it's only going to patch it for a while. It's not anything permanent. It's like putting a Band-Aid on some terminal disease. Just putting a Band-Aid. Hey, come in here. You know, um, no, I'm not going to give you any treatment. Just give you a Band-Aid. Put, put the Band-Aid over that. <laughs> no, there needs to be a cure. It's not going to work when you put a piece of bubble gum on the hull of a boat that's taken on water because it's got a hole in it. Um, it may work for 15 minutes, but then that's going to be popped off and you're going to sink. And so it gives us a false sense of security when we try to patch it up with our own misunderstandings and our own um, amazing, <laughs> weak theology. Now, let me be clear. There aren't any holes in the Bible as it is. That being the case, why have we seen it necessary to add to it? It's not a, a problem of missing anything. It's a problem of us not understanding it. It's this mixture of our human reason with God's infallible word that becomes the first thing to crack when it's under pressure. That's what happened with Eve in the garden. She thought she was spot on. She said, God said, don't touch it. All he had to do was get her to touch it. You see? You see? You didn't die. Look at that. Um, but it's one step closer to dying. The snake in the garden didn't have to do much other than to poke a hole in God's words to Adam. He reasoned and tapped into her ability to reason rather than take God and his word at face value because it's the truth. You see, the truth is powerful. Anything Less than the truth is weak. Anything that's weak added to the powerful truth weakens the truth. And since then, it has been the biggest tool used by the enemy. Human reasoning, human additions, human interpretations. This is the church we have today. This is a condition. A church that changes its stance on big Bible topics that God speaks about, like divorce, division, Catarizing sin as if one is worse than another, or perversity, or things that used to be wrong now being right. Just think about it. We embrace the changing tides of the world around us and jump on those waves to stay relevant and keep growing and building our denominational or non-denominational brand because it makes sense for us to keep up, to follow right along rather than swim against the tide and refuse to bow to the ebbs and flows. I mean, I remember all these 46 years of being in ministry, all through the years I've kept hearing the cries of the church has got to keep adjusting and adapting to the world because we're, we can't be out of touch with it. We've we got to be relevant to it. We've got to be able to, to uh, connect. They've got to be able to relate to us. Well, this is what it cost us. Compromise. And whatever you compromise to keep, you're surely going to lose. You see, the moves of a snake are always subtle. 
until it's striking time. We're in the days of striking time right now. Jesus showed us we are to strike first with the truth. When he called out the religious leaders of his day, John chapter 8, 43 through 47, Passion Translation, I'm going to read it quickly. Why don't you understand what I say? You don't understand because your hearts are closed to my message. He's talking to the religious, religious people. Verse 44, you are the offspring of your father, the devil, and you serve your father very well, passionately carrying out his desires. He's been a murderer right from the start. He never stood with the truth, for he's full of nothing but lies. Lying is his native tongue. He is a master of deception and the father of lies. He's calling their father a liar. But I am the true prince, verse 45 says, who speaks nothing but the truth. Yet you refuse to believe and you want nothing to do with me. Can you name one sin that I've committed? Then if I'm telling you only the truth, why don't you believe me? Verse 47, if you really knew God, you would listen, receive, and respond with faith to his words. But since you don't listen and respond to what he says, it proves you don't belong to him and you have no room for him in your hearts. In other words, people of God should hear him and not complain that they can't hear him, not complain that they don't understand him. Maybe you're not real people of God because only people of God can hear him and can separate what he says, the truth, from what the other one is saying, which is the lies. You see, we as the real born again spirit, born again of the spirit people should be is people of the truth. God's word is truth. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. And Satan, the origin of the natural fallen world, is the source of all lies. It's all about truth versus lies, right? God is truth. Lies are contrary to truth. Satan lies. The snake in the Bible is a symbol of the lying, deceiving devil that we have to take authority over. And so Jesus said one time in Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, Amplified Translation. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Verse 19, listen carefully. I've given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, Satan, and nothing will by in any way harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, he's saying it's not, it's not a bigger deal than who you are in my family. It's not a bigger deal than you being born again. So don't make it a big deal. Don't make it a big emphasis. It's just a simple thing. Satan gets in the way. Lives get in the way. You step on it. You walk over it. You cast it down with the authority that I've given you in my name, Jesus is saying. That's serpents and scorpions. I'm not going to get into scorpions. That's another form of, in the ancient world, of telling you that, that that's an enemy. It's a whole lot smaller and it's a whole lot less toxic than the serpents and pose a little bit less threat, but they both serve a purpose and they represent demonic and satanic spiritual beings. And so lying is of a satanic, demonic, spiritual being called Satan. Did you get that? You see, we have open access to the truth because of our authority in the name of Jesus. We've been given the spirit of truth to lead and guide us into all truth. 
So let us lead and guide others into the same truth that we've been led into and become of ourselves. Thank you for tuning in again. I love you all. In the name of Jesus, the truth be with you.